0: Uh, This evening's passage is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Okay, and it's titled, Christ Crucified is God's Power and Wisdom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This
1: is the word of the Lord. Good evening, Adrian, and um, good evening, everyone. Thank you, Adrian. Good evening, everyone, not just good evening, Adrian. Um, thank you, Adrian, for reading. Um, as we often say um, here at Christchurch, it'll, it'll help you if you keep um, a Bible open to 1 Corinthians, and we want to make sure that we're, we're seeing what God says and not just what I um, believe. So we want to see what God says. So let's keep that open um, and pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you are good and kind and loving and wonderful and patient and forgiving. Thank you, Father, that your word is good for us. And we pray this evening that you would help us as we have just been singing to show us more of the Lord Jesus and his beauty and perfection and the wonder of the cross that it might encourage our hearts to keep following him and to be a united church family. Amen. Where should we look in order to find true power and true wisdom? In first century Corinth, it was thought that true power and wisdom could be found in people. At that time, travelling philosophers would come and visit the city, they would speak, they would share their knowledge, their intellect and their ideas, and people would listen to these philosophers and then claim allegiance to one of them. They would think, who speaks the most persuasively, who speaks the most logically, and they would follow them. Who speaks with the most eloquence, who demonstrates the greatest oratory skill. And that same attitude can be very much alive today. Speakers might not travel as much as they did, but we can still read about many ideas and philosophies, can't we? And many are available online in the columns and blogs. We can still listen to much human thought through podcasts and talks. As a society, we still very much believe that true power and wisdom can be found in people, and so we like to follow them. but there's a very real and present danger. You see, the danger is that this can impact and shape the way that we think about Christian leaders. Last week, we saw that the members of Christchurch Corinth were divided. Now, remember, these divisions weren't caused by um, differences in doctrine or, or differences in belief. Instead, these divisions were caused by Christians exalting and following certain church leaders. Do you remember what they were saying? I follow, I follow. I follow this preacher because they've been to this college. I follow this preacher because they have lots of funny stories. I follow this preacher because they're incredibly articulate. I follow this preacher because they speak to my intellectual brain. Why did they do this? why were there divisions? Well, it seems that the divisions were a symptom of a bigger and much more underlying problem. The divisions were evidence that these Christians were looking for true power and true wisdom in people. And so you see, very sadly, that the way that the world thought and the values that the world had in following certain people, well, that attitude was creeping into the Corinthian church. And so over the next few sections of the letter, Paul wants to show these Christians that they have got it wrong. He wants to show them that their thinking is twisted and warped. He he wants to show them that they're looking in completely the wrong place for power and wisdom. And the way he does that is to show these Christians and us that in God's economy, true power and true wisdom are not found in what the world values. They're not found in people, not found in eloquent speech, but instead in what the world would label as weak and foolish. Let's just look down. So, look down at the passage Adrian's just read, and then um, further on into in chap- chapter one, and even into chapter two. If we do that, then we'll see a few words come up multiple times: power, wisdom, weakness, folly. They're going to come up time and time again over the next couple of weeks, and over these weeks, we're going to see that Paul is making one big continuous argument. We'll see something about the weak-looking church. We'll see something about the weak-looking preacher. But for tonight, we're going to focus on the weak-looking message. And the the big point for us to take away is this. Tim, if you could just pop on the next slide, that'll be helpful. And the next one. The big point is this. God wisely and powerfully saves people through the weak and foolish-looking message of the cross. God wisely and powerfully saves people through the weak and foolish-looking message of the cross. Let's see that together and look down um, at verse 18. Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." So notice that there are two groups of people in the world. There are those who are on the one hand perishing, and there are those who on the other hand are being saved. And and what determines whether people are, are perishing or whether people are being saved is their view of the cross. Two polar opposite views. Did you notice that? Let's look down. Some hear about the message of the cross. Some hear that God would come to earth in order to die in their place and they think, foolishness. Some people hear about the cross and they think that it is shameful, weak, barbaric, ridiculous. Just think of one of the criminals crucified next to Jesus, mocking him and insulting him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Some people, when they hear about the cross, they just laugh at it because it looks weak and foolish. But while some dismiss it, others realize that they owe everything to the death of Jesus. Most of us here this evening, we hear about the cross and we think it is magnificent, it is beautiful, it is powerful. We love the cross, we love singing about it, we love talking about it. And the reason why is because we realise, well, the cross is God's way to save sinners like me. Think of the other criminal, the one on the other side of Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Two polar opposite views of the cross. Some think it's foolish. They mock Jesus for it. Some praise the Lord Jesus for it and think it is powerful. Now, if you want the the illustration or, or the visual aid... Think about spiders' silk. Bear with me. You see, we look at spider silk and we think it is weak and it is powerless. But apparently, according to the science, spider silk can hold a much greater force than a piece of steel of the same size. Spider silk, it looks weak and foolish. And yet the reality is that it is actually very strong. The same is true of the cross. Some look at the cross and think weak and foolish. And yet the reality is that it is incredibly strong. It is the power of God. and it, So it begs us to ask the question, doesn't it? Which sides do we fall on? Notice the question is not what do you make of church or, or what do you make of the people here or, or what do you make of the moral teaching of Jesus, but what do you make of the death of Jesus? Do you think it is foolish? Or do you think it is powerful? Are you perishing? Or are you being saved? God wisely and powerfully saves people through the weak and foolish looking message of the cross. And did you notice that this was God's plan all along. Verse 18 again, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and here's God's promise, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Now you can see from the footnote at the bottom of that page that Paul is quoting here from a book of the Bible called Isaiah. And back in Isaiah 29, And the Israelites were living as hypocrites, worshipping God with their lips and not with their hearts. They thought, well, we're being wise. They thought they were being wise in choosing to oppose God. And so God promised to judge them through their enemies in order to show to them just how useless and foolish their supposed wisdom was. Paul says that that is fulfilled fully in the death of the Lord Jesus. Paul says that the cross shows us just how useless and foolish our supposed human wisdom is. Let's look at verse 20. Paul says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? How has he done that? Well, he goes on. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now, of course, if we look out into the world, there is no shortage of clever and wise people. People who can prove that spider silk is stronger than steel. People who can do all sorts of things. Lots of wise and clever people, and yet... Paul says we can do all of that, we can discover lots of things, we can know lots of things, but human wisdom cannot give humanity what we most need. You can be the cleverest person in the world, but it doesn't help us to know God. That's what Paul says. Through its wisdom did not know him. We can't know God, however clever we may be. However clever we may be, we cannot work out salvation by intellect or wisdom. Now, God could have made salvation look strong and impressive. He could have rewarded those who found out salvation by their wisdom, but he decided not to. Instead, God chose a weak and foolish-looking way. God chose salvation to come through the cross, through the death of his Son, and he did that to show us just how useless and foolish human wisdom is when it comes to knowing him. He did it to humble us. He did it so that you and I can't pat ourselves on the back. If you're not yet a Christian and you're thinking, well, I will work God out by relying on my own wisdom, Paul says, you can't, it's impossible until we give up on our own reliance and understanding, until we humble ourselves before the Lord, we're never going to understand the wisdom of God. And so we will never be saved. Now, I think these verses are quite tricky, and we might have got lost. Don't panic if that's the case, because I think it's all contributing towards that big point, One big argument. God wisely and powerfully saves people, through the weak and foolish-looking message of the cross. That has always been God's plan, to do that. That's how he saves people, not through human wisdom. And so as we go on, this this truth about how God saves people and how God doesn't save people, well, this radically impacts the way that Paul does ministry. Look at verse 22. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified see, if you were to walk around the streets of first century Corinth and ask the unbelievers, what would you want in order to um, show that Jesus is believable? And what would cause you to believe in Jesus? Then you would have got two main answers. The Jews at the time, well, they would have said, give us a sign, give us a miracle. Make God write it in the sky that he's there. The Greeks, well, they would have wanted wisdom. They would have wanted the, the latest knockdown philosophical argument to prove the existence of God. But notice that Paul doesn't do those things. He doesn't give signs. He doesn't give wisdom. He doesn't give the people what they want to hear. Instead, he preaches Christ crucified. Now, of course, this would have been a stumbling block to the Jews. After all, they didn't believe in a weak and a weak-looking and crucified Messiah. Just listen to this quotation from a second-century rabbi. He says this, Daniel chapter 7, And such like passages of Scripture compel us to await one who is great and glorious and takes the everlasting kingdom from the ancient of days as son of man. But this, your so-called Christ, is without honour and glory, so that he has even fallen into the uttermost curse that is in the law of God. For he was crucified. For the Jews, Christ crucified was stumbling. It didn't make sense. For the Gentiles, well, it seems foolish Here they would have been all debating their latest ideas. They would have been thinking, well, what do we need to know now to try and work out God? And here comes along Paul, and he says, if you want to know God, look at the cross. And the Greeks would have said, foolishness. Excavations of Rome have found a cartoon entitled, Alexamenos Worships His God. And the picture is of a man kneeling down in worship before a deity... The God is on a cross, and whilst he has the body of a man, he has the head of a donkey. The cartoon is mocking the Christian faith, mocking the idea of worshipping a God who would come to earth and then die. The cartoon is saying, well, you might as well worship a donkey over a crucified God. The cross would have been a stumbling block to the Jews. It would have been foolish to the Gentiles. But Paul preaches Christ crucified. Why? Because of verse 24. To those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Paul knows as he preaches that the message of Christ crucified won't work for everyone. He's well aware of that. But he's also well aware that for those whom God has called, the simple message of Christ crucified will work. God wisely and powerfully saves people through the weak and foolish looking message of the cross. Now, I just want to spend a few moments thinking about some of the implications for us as individuals and as a church as we seek to share the gospel. You see, it struck me that very verse twenty-two is very modern, isn't it? And maybe you've been in a conversation with a Christian who said, "If only God would give me a sign to prove Himself, well, then I would believe that He exists." And people can want to treat God like a magic genie, can't they? He has to give me what I want. I'll scratch his back, but only if he scratches mine first. Or maybe you've been in one of those conversations with someone who says, well, give me lots of evidence. Give me all the evidence that there is a God. They want a God who satisfies their intellectual curiosity. This week I was meeting up with a non Christian. We were looking at John 1 together, and then the conversation went a bit off John 1. And it was, I'm talking about, well, the evidence for God. And in that situation, it's so tempting, isn't it? I'm so tempting to try and convince people, so tempting to try and come up with the perfect argument because it feels stronger. It feels stronger. But given that I had this passage in mind, when that conversation happened, I just kept telling myself in my head over and over again, the cross looks foolish, but it's powerful. The cross looks foolish, but it's powerful. Try and get back to Jesus and why he came. This non-Christian will think that it's foolish, but in reality it's powerful. And to be honest, it's a lot more liberating And maybe one of the reasons we find it hard to share the gospel is because we think, well, I don't have the answers to all of the questions. We think, don't we, that we have to know all of the answers. We think, well, if only I could learn the best arguments and and better than that, remember the best arguments, then this person will become a Christian. No. We put all of the pressure on ourselves to try and explain all the evidence. But people don't become Christians through human arguments. People don't become Christians because they hear enough evidence. People become Christians as God powerfully opens eyes when they hear the message of Christ and him crucified. So please take the pressure off yourself. Don't let um, evidence and human reason be a burden. Don't put off evangelism thinking, well, I need to know everything. We don't. Any person who believes that Jesus Christ died for their sins in order to save them, and I take it that that means any Christian, has the message we need to proclaim. If the non-Christian wins the human wisdom argument, that is fine. Let's not let our pride get in the way. We don't need to look wise to the world. And more than that, we ought not to look wise. Let's just look back to the end of last week's passage, verse 17. Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul says he chose, he made a deliberate choice not to preach with wisdom and eloquence. And the reason why is because he didn't want the cross to be emptied of its power. He thought, if I do it with wisdom and eloquence, well, the power's all going to be in me. And he didn't want that. He wanted the power to be in the cross. Unbelievers want signs and wisdom. Paul could have given the people what they wanted, and we could try and do that too. But the danger of that is that if we try and give people what they want, then the power will be in us and not in the cross. And so... The, the steps that that leads to is that eventually we'll lose the cross altogether because we'll think it's all about human power, we'll think it's all about human wisdom, and so we'll leave the cross to the side. Now, there's always pressure from the world, isn't there? What, what should the church be doing? Or what message should the church be giving? And yet, if we slip into thinking, well, what will the world want? What will impress the world? What will get people in? What will the world find compelling and convincing and entertaining? What will the world find powerful and wise? Well, the sad irony is that as we look to what the world finds powerful and wise, we'll actually lose what really is powerful. We'll lose what really is wise. We will lose the cross we will lose the very thing that people need to hear to be saved. I think this passage challenges us a little bit on what we're reliant on for conversions, And maybe it challenges our priorities as to what we look for in an evangelistic event. Are we relying on the message of the cross? Or are we relying on the fact that we have a well-put-together event? Are we relying on the message of the cross, or are we relying on the fact that we have a speaker who is clever, articulate, wise, persuasive, funny, and good at telling stories? Are we relying on the message of the cross, or are we relying on the fact that we have a Christian with a seemingly powerful testimony, and even better, if we have a Christian who's a celebrity? Very easy, isn't it, to slip into thinking? What will impress the world? What will convince the world? What will the world think of as powerful and wise? What will look good to them? Of course, these things can be good and useful. But there is a danger a danger of over relying on certain people or a certain style means that we won't be relying on the message of the cross to save people. The simple message of the cross will seem weak and foolish to the world as we preach it. But that is the way that God works. God wisely and powerfully saves people through the weak and foolish-looking message of the cross. If we want to see God's power at work, then we must. We absolutely must keep what looks weak and foolish at the centre now, I think there are more implications for the way that we do evangelism, the way that we do mission. It'd be good to chat, to those, chat about those um, a bit later on. But for now, we need to head back to Corinth. And the reason I say that is because Paul's aim here in this um, section is not to give the church in Corinth a sermon on mission or evangelism. Um, his aim is primarily linked to the divisions in the church. Divisions, remember, that were being caused by people having a ranking system for their favorite preachers. Divisions, remember, that were symptomatic of the worldly desire for power and wisdom. And so do you see how it fits together? Paul writes this section to break up some of their false thinking about power and wisdom that is causing those divisions. And Paul writes this section to the Corinthians to show just how foolish it is to care about what the world views as as wise and powerful. It is foolish to look to humans for power and wisdom because true power and wisdom, God's power and wisdom, is not found in the eloquent speech that the world wants, but in a weak and foolish-looking message of the cross. Now, praise the Lord, we don't have obvious Divisions here, but maybe there are attitudes or, or areas of thinking that, if left down the line, could lead to divisions. Do we have our favorite teachers here at Christchurch? Are there people who we're not as excited about when they preach? Are there people that we think, "Well, that person's too old, I'm not listening to them," or oh, that one hasn't been to college, I'm not listening to them. That one doesn't have any funny stories. That one isn't the most articulate. Maybe there are people in our church family who we prefer to talk to after church because we think, well, I can have an intellectual conversation with them about the passage. I take it from the past couple of weeks that those kinds of attitudes, attitudes which at the heart of them are all about the search for human power and wisdom, have the potential of being very divisive. And so we need to remember that God flips the world's way of viewing power and wisdom completely upside down. It would be so foolish, so foolish to let the chase for human power be the thing that we care about. It would be very foolish to be divided because of a desire for human wisdom. Because we're not saved by human power. We don't know God through human wisdom. God wisely and powerfully saves people through the weak and foolish-looking message of the cross. Let's make sure that at Christchurch Banstead, we're less concerned about how eloquent or wise or how clever or funny the person up here may be. Let's be less concerned about that and be more concerned about whether the cross is proclaimed. And if it is, then be content Because that is where true power and wisdom lie. It is in the message of the cross where God's power and wisdom are found. A few moments just to collect our thoughts individually and then we'll pray together. Father, please, would you show us areas of our lives where we're searching after human power and human wisdom? Please show us how that that is not good for us as individuals, but also very dangerous for us as a church family. Please forgive us for times when we do do this. Instead, Father, please would you... And forgive us and reconvince us that it is the message of the cross where true power and true wisdom are found. That we would look only to there for our salvation rather than in people. And therefore that we would be united with all of your people across the globe. Please help us in this, we find it hard. Please would your spirit equip us to be united around the powerful and wise cross of the Lord Jesus. And please, Father, would there never be a day in our lives when we don't believe that the cross is powerful. Amen.